Welcome back to Kings of Columbus on the podcast. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, and Bill Landis has done some revolutionary, perhaps proprietary research on Ohio State in short yardage. And Landis, I think you could sell it to people. It's like state secrets kind of stuff. Or you can just talk about it on this show. Which do you prefer? Uh, well, b- both. I-, I did text some of it out to our tech subscribers, so I guess I guess in some respects that is selling it. Um, I'm just happy. I have a tendency to over research for everything that I do. Um, oh. but, I act- but I actually think uh, I actually think it's going to come in handy here. That's why. That's why we're a good combo. You over research. I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> so we are going to deal with short yardage for Ohio State. What they do, what they should do, how it compares to themselves, which is always the most valuable Ohio State standard comparing the Buckeyes to the Buckeyes, how they compare to teams around the country. And then we're going to take some texture questions at the end and we'll do what you're watching, what you're eating, uh, what you're thinking about stuff but really this is a short yardage podcast and show because we think it's so important because landis i did ask our tech subscribers about this and if you want to be a tech subscriber some people do some people don't 614-662-4509 is a free trial you get a two-week free trial send a text to that they send you a thing to sign up i asked people like how concerned they are about short yardage for ohio state and Generally, the the choices were, I'm very concerned, I'm concerned, I'm not that concerned, and I have no concerns, okay? No concerns, zero. (laughs) There's not a single person who cares about Ohio State who has no concerns. Very concerned, 46%. Concerned, 44%. Not that concerned, 9%. So at least 91%, Landis, and I think that's reflective of the fan base, is pretty darn concerned. And half are very concerned. The caveat I put on very concerned is you think it could cost them a game. And practically half the fans are there. That's why we're talking about this. It feels like to me, it's is it the number one issue around Ohio State football right now? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I think if you were able to give Ryan Day some truth serum and then have him partake of or, or participate in the survey, he'd also say he was at least concerned if, and perhaps very concerned. Um, it was a major talking point in his press conference on Tuesday. He said they spent a lot of time on it in the off week because um, I think what he said it might have been an answer to my question, right? It was in big games, especially this stuff matters. If you're not good in short yardage when you're playing Western Kentucky, which they actually were good in short yardage in that game, but say you're not, you're still going to probably score a lot because you have one play touchdown drives. When you have to sustain drives in big games against good defense, this stuff is very important. And if they're not better at it, I agree with anybody who thinks it might cost them a game. So I thought maybe the most important thing, certainly one of the most important things that came out of Ryan Day's news conference on Tuesday was you getting him to say a number. Yeah, We are defining parameters here all right you can look stuff up you're good at addition and subtraction maybe even multiplication and division did you ever take calculus did you take calculus uh yeah i i did i was very bad at math in school but i did take calculus yes yeah and so like i don't think you need calculus to figure this stuff out but there's one thing to figure out the numbers which we did and which we'll get to in a moment But what's the standard? And you got Ryan Day to say the standard. I'll give you the floor here because you made it happen. That's really important to this discussion. Yeah, I asked him what 
what is the percentage they want to be at conversion rate wise and short yardage? And he started by saying, well, we want to convert all of them, which I, I was like, crap, he's going to just give me a terrible yeah. answer. And they said, and then he said, third and one, third and two, you want to be at least north of 80%. Yep. Third and three, maybe you back off a little bit. He didn't give a number on that, probably somewhere in the range of like 70%, I would guess. And obviously the farther back you get from the line to gain, the, the lower that percentage gets in terms of what makes you happy. But in the plays we're talking about, third and three, third and one, third, third and three, third and two, third and one, they want to be, I think, in the neighborhood of 70 to 80% conversion. Okay. So give it to him. We'll give, we're going to get into more, but like we're not. I don't want to be one of those shows where we're constantly teasing the good stuff at the end. Yeah. Five minutes in, give it to him. Are they at 80% on third and one and third and two? They are not. Oh, um, man. So, yeah. What if you were like, yes, they are. <laughs> All of our perceptions are wrong. Yeah. Yes, they are. See you later. We're good. Let's talk about the Phillies winning a wild card game. Yeah. Um, so I went back for all this research that we're talking about, um, at least on, on my part, I went back to the start of the Ryan Day era. And initially I was just looking at short yardage defined as third and three or fourth and three and shorter. But then once he said, we want to be 80%, at least north of 80% on third and one and third and two, I was like, all right, I got to go back and look at all the third and one and third and two plays. So I did because I'm a crazy person. Um, so I'm going to give it year by year. You are crazy. Yeah. While you were doing yeah. it, were you like, this is drudgery. I feel like a monk transcribing books in the Abbey. Or were you like, I was born for this? No, I I've thoroughly enjoy doing stuff like this. But like in the middle of it, my wife came into the room for something. And I turned to her and I said, do you ever think about how weird my job is? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, I think about it every day. Yeah, yeah. She's like doing actual work that helps the world. And I'm looking up third down stats. But uh, this does help the world. This is because this is this is what I I soothe myself <laughs> with our contributions to the world. All those people who are doing important things for the world. When they get home or when they're driving home or when they're on the treadmill, they want to relax after doing important things for the world. And you know how they want to relax? They want to know about Ohio State short yardage. So okay. that's your contribution. Well, here it is, folks. Um, again, the number is uh, the quote is at least north of 80 percent on third and one and third and two. In 2019, they were 89 percent. Good job. 2020, they were 73 percent. I still think fine. You know, probably still a good job. 2021, again, 73%. Good job. Then a big old drop. 2022, 54%. Not good. Uh, 54% is like barely good enough just on third down in general, let alone third and short. So 2022, 54%. And currently this year through four games, they are at 50% on third and one and third and two, five of 10. So that is not good at all. And one of the parameters is there's a great stat, cfbstats.com, that breaks some of this stuff down. They cut it off at three. So it's like third and three or less. Then it's like third and four to third and seven or something. So like we have to, go, for some of the comparison stuff, we have to go by their stats because yeah. we're not going to look up the stats. Ours. We're, just, we're just people. We're not going to look up the stats for every team in the country going through box scores for Clemson five years ago. So some of the comparison stuff we're going to do later is going to include third and three. But this Ohio State standard, it's funny because the defining moment, I think, certainly for me, I think for you, I think for a lot of Ohio State fans, was not getting the third and two in 2021 in the third quarter of the Michigan game. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the line in the sand. But as you just said, in that season in 2021, it wasn't a problem the whole year. 
But I, it's this discussion is almost from that point on because it wasn't good enough in that game that mattered that torpedoed their national title hopes. And now all of 22 and where we are so far in 2023, it actually is a significant problem in a way it never was before that. I do, I do think like having gone back through all those plays now, um, there were definitely signs, and and I, I think maybe I remember talking about this or writing about it when I was at the Athletic at the time. The Nebraska game in 2021 was really bad. The Penn State game in 2021 was not great. The Michigan game actually, for, aside from that third and two play, was okay, but that was just such a monumental moment in that game, and it does feel like kind of since that moment. Um, there's been a dip. There's been a there's been a hyper focus on this that I I don't think has led to good process and good results. For by by who? Hyper focused by us? By fans? By, by everybody? By everybody? Staff? Yeah, yeah. By everybody. I think I think by us, by fans, and by us asking about it, and then in turn us asking about it, and also like Ohio State being aware that they needed to be better. Um, they have really focused on this and think I think in a way that has the fixation. I think has not led to good process and good results. Well, can we fix it on this show? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna offer ideas, I suppose. Yeah. I feel like I don't want to put too much on you, but I feel like it's on you. I'll accept that responsibility. Because I think we can act like the media can solve it because people love that idea. You know, remember how pe- you know how people are always walking around saying, like, man, there's there's some problems in the world. You know who can solve the problems? The media. You know how everybody thinks that all the time? that everyone just trusts and loves the media and thinks we're so smart and we're into problem solving, right? That's a fair statement. Yes. In this situation, like the beat's actually not going to solve it. No offense to the beat. And I, I'm included. It's you. You've established, like, so first of all, you're kind of like, you know, you're like a regular person. You're not a former player, but you're kind of like the X and O guy, but also kind of like short yardage. I mean, unless we're talking about Cam Johnston, other than that, like short yardage is is isn't that Landis wheelhouse? Aren't we right here? Yeah, because because I'm all about um, not having to travel very far distances with physical exertion. So uh, if, if we're talking, about only needed to move one or two yards. That's that's my bag. Yeah. So tell your wife that. <laughs> tell your wife that the most important issue facing Ohio State football is up to you to solve. Because guess what? We're gonna do that. Next on Kings of Columbus, and we're going to start by talking about some tush pushing right after this. All right, Doug and Bill talking some tush pushing, which I didn't know. Is that what it's always been called, what the Philadelphia Eagles do? Or is that like a thing this week that we got to tush pushing? So I've heard two two things this week that I feel like I have not heard before um, to describe the Eagles quarterback sneak play, which when they push Jalen Hurts across the line, uh, one is tush push, which is new. The other is the brotherly shove, which oh. I also, yeah, which I also have not heard, but I am in love with. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a shirt that says brotherly shove on it. Yeah, what if that that could be your thing? Because uh, that would be a very Philly thing if you just started walk around shoving people with love, with love. Yeah. So Ryan Day was asked about quarterback sneaks specifically, and you know how, why he was asked about it because I asked the texters, do you think they should sneak more? 90% yes. 90, 90%, 90% yes. More sneaks. This is what Ryan Day said. I think when you line up, uh, understanding that's probably the first thing in short yardage that everyone's going to take away, right? So that idea, especially like you get up under center and that's what the defense assumes you're going to do. And you go from there. So that's part of our short yardage package. Again, I'm like paraphrasing, quoting Ryan Day here from Tuesday. 
uh, whether it's appropriate for us to use or not. We try to do that on a day-to-day basis and on a game-to-game basis. But looking at what the Philadelphia Eagles do with Hurts, you know, he's a very big, strong, powerful player. I think with Justin Fields, we did it a lot. There's been a lot of comparisons between Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts. You know, he could really move the pile. We've practiced it. Everyone has to have a quarterback sneak in. And if you if you think it gives you a chance, we'll do it. As you can imagine, we're working really hard on short yardage. And then Dave Biddle, who asked his first question, followed up. I'm like, hey, Kyle McCord, he's a big stout dude, right? 6'3", 215. And Ryan said, yeah, we haven't really given him many opportunities. Um, in practice, it's hard to tell. Time will tell. So I did want to say, I did look up the size and the size of Ohio State quarterbacks in the Ryan Day era. JT Barrett, 6'2", 220. Dwayne Haskins, 6'3", 218. Justin Fields, 6'3", 228. CJ Stroud, 6'3", 218. Kyle McCord, 6'3", 215. So Kyle McCord is like a stout dude. I think certainly stout enough. He's not Tate Martell. But also, like he's like less stout, for instance, than Justin Fields, less stout than JT Barrett, who has basically had the body of a fullback playing quarterback. So I don't know, man. And then you followed up with sneak questions, and I think like specifically about <clears> – <throat> the Eagles play. We do want to note that the New York Giants tried the Eagles <laughs> version of a tush push and their center and tight end got hurt on the play and they didn't get it. Yeah. So that was a reminder that it doesn't mean that it works for everybody, but we are seeing some college teams do this now. Do you think so that's there's, there's actually like there is this, it's two questions, right? Yep. One's the sneak, one's the tush push. So the, the idea of the tush-push, you line up people in the backfield and they help shove the quarterback forward. Let's go there first because that's less specific. That's philosophical. Do you think Kyle McCord, this offensive line, you know, you could line up Chip and Mayan as they do behind Kyle and have both of them shove Kyle until you can't shove him anymore. Is Ohio State built for that? It's a fair question. First of all, before I answer it, we're not going to gloss over the disparagement of Tate Martell. All right. It was, unnecess- it was unnecessary. I, I, it was unnecessary. I just said he's not a guy whose tush you want to push. That's cheap, all I said. Cheap shot. Maybe you do. Cheap shot. <laughs> he just has a little tush. There's not much. There's not much to push. Uh, you need it. Uh, can you imagine JT Barrett? He had a lot going on down there like that. Like there's a lot to push. You need, you need something as Peyton Manning was getting very specific on the uh, the Peyton Manning show the other night about how you do it, right? One, you know, it, everybody grabs a cheek and away you go. That's all. Would yeah. you, do, uh, uh, you want to sneak Tate Martell? Is that where we are? Or are you just offended generally? He's just so little. He can just like walk under the line. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, where'd he go? I mean, oh. yeah. <laughs> right between Carson Hinsman's legs. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, speaking of Carson Hinsman, like, I think, I think it's an interesting discussion, right? Because Carson Hinsman is, uh, not the biggest center in the world. He's under 300 pounds, right? Um, it's funny because you and I were talking about this, talking about Jason Kelsey, the Eagle center. He's also under 300 pounds. He is considered undersized for the position in the NFL. Um, but the Eagles offensive line in general, aside from him, is massive. They get a really good push, and the quarterback squats 600 pounds. So, like, all that stuff matters. Does Kyle McCord squat that much? No, I, w- I would assume not. Um, he's a sturdy enough guy, though, I think. Um Ohio State's guards are are on the bigger side, I guess, with Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson. I think I think you can get a good enough push in the interior of that line to try to do something like this. The other part of the of the question too is it doesn't necessarily have to be the quarterback who takes the snap. Um, you mentioned Mayan Williams and Chip Train. I'm like one of those guys could take the snap 
and get pushed by somebody else. If you want somebody a little more sturdy or beefy or stronger, lower body doing that, I think he can do that. I saw the Eagles play the Washington commanders over the weekend and the commanders brought, uh, was it Logan Thomas, the former Virginia yeah. tech quarterback who's a tight end. Now he came in and took the snap um, and they pushed him over the line to get the conversion as, as opposed to having Sam Howell do it. So there are a lot of ways you can do it. Snap it to Tyleek Williams. I don't care. Let's snap it to him and have, have someone push him across the line. Um, I don't, I just don't know why you don't try it. It's within the rules. I think there's an interesting discussion about whether or not it should be, but while it is, why wouldn't you do it? Like I've seen Penn State do it and I saw Washington score a touchdown or Washington State, excuse me, score a touchdown doing it two weeks ago. So you could do it with Kyle McCord or you could line up with Kyle McCord under center, chip train him at fullback, Mayan Williams at tailback, which is a look they've done before. Motion out Kyle McCord, put chip under center, and then have Mayan push chip. So of those two suggestions, push Kyle or motion Kyle out or just not have him in the game, whatever, and have somebody like Chip Trainum take the snap and push him, which would you choose? I'd probably choose Kyle because of the comfortability in taking the snap. I actually, I actually think the mechanism of snapping the ball under center for the center and the quarterback is it's not complicated, but it does require a level of comfort that I don't, I don't think people have just sort of innately. It's actually something I talked about once with Urban Meyer um, after he had left Ohio State and was just sort of like hanging around still. I asked him why they didn't go under center because at the time Ohio State was doing it in 2019 and everyone was really excited about it. And he said like they didn't think their centers were comfortable doing it, so they didn't do it. Um, and now if you practice it enough, I think you get comfortable. But uh, at the moment, I would think I would rather have the quarterback do it because Ohio State goes under center so much already. So very so you would choose McCord over chip. Okay. Yeah. So let me on the on the tush push before we move on. Should they try it in a game? Yes or no? Yeah, I think they should. I don't I don't love it as a goal line play. Like some of the short yardage conversations about like truly finishing drives, like we saw against Notre Dame. I don't know if you want to push your quarterback over the goal line because it just it's like it's kind of messy. Um, but in the middle of the field, yeah, why not? Will they try it? No, I don't. I think we're going to see them try some sneaks. My guess is they don't try the tush push. I think they'll do it more like they've we've seen them do it in the past. Okay, so now let's talk sneaks because you can sneak without it being the tush push. And this idea, this is an amazing stat. How many games have they gone since they last tried to sneak? Ten. That is bonkers. Is it not bonkers? especially when they've been successful at it, right? In your research, they were very successful at it. 13 of 15 on quarterback sneaks in the Ryan Day era before they stopped doing it. What's happening? How can a team that's had this much trouble in short yardage the last season and a half, how did they just absolutely stop sneaking the ball? I th- I think part of it is is comfort with the quarterback, right? So they did, they did it much more with Justin Fields. Justin Fields did it nine times in two years. Since then, they've only done it six times. Uh, once with Kyle McCord and five times with C.J. Stroud, which is actually I, I I thought and I've said that I didn't think they did it after Justin Fields left. Clearly, I was wrong about that. They have done it six times since Justin Fields has left, but but not nearly the, the same rate. Um, and the last two times they've tried it, which was uh, C.J. Stroud against. Rutgers in 2022 and against Iowa in 2022, it didn't work. So I don't know if not seeing those two plays not work and back-to-back times calling it led Ryan Day down a different path as he tried to figure out the short yardage question. Does that make sense? 
No. Like it didn't work <laughs> twice. It worked every time, then it didn't work twice in a row, and we're done. No, it doesn't make sense to me. No. So let me. So I I listed previously the heights and weights of the Ohio State starting quarterback since Ryan Day got to Ohio State. That's not the only thing, though. There's sort of like there's something innate in in you, and this is not to criticize because everybody, Bill, and you'll find this now as a father, has strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. and you can't wish somebody into having a thousand strengths and no weaknesses. And often your strengths and your weaknesses are related. So this is not saying who's the better quarterback, who throws the ball better, whatever. We're talking about sneaks. JT Barrett, do you think he's a good candidate for sneaks? Yes or no? Yes. Dwayne Haskins, yes or no? No. Justin Fields, yes or no? Yes. CJ Stroud, yes or no? No. But I have, I have, he should be, but no. I agree with all of those. And it's more than size. And I don't know that anybody disagrees with any of that. Now, CJ Stroud's ripping apart the NFL, throwing the ball. Sure and is. JT Barrett never made it to even one snap in the NFL. And Justin Fields is not ripping apart the NFL with his arm. So everybody has strengths and weaknesses. But I would, I would trust JT Barrett and Justin Fields to get in there and power through it and get what needs to be gotten. I don't know that I'd feel the same way about Dwayne and CJ. So where do you think we are with Kyle? Because I think maybe we're a little closer to the JT Justin side of things than the Dwayne CJ side of things. Although I do think it's probably fair to say Kyle's in the middle. Yeah, I think Kyle is in the middle. I I do agree with that. I, I think the willingness that Kyle has shown already to pull the ball down and try to create something when a play breaks down would lead me to believe that he's willing to, you know, get in the mud a little bit and and try to convert via quarterback sneaks. I just don't, the times that CJ even did it, like he didn't look super comfortable doing it. Um, And Kyle probably has not done it enough yet for me to say that he does look comfortable, but the mere fact that he has been willing to do it early in his career, I, I think, gives me a little hope for lack of a better word that, that he'd be okay doing something like this. So when we're talking about a world in which they are 15 of 17 in the Ryan Day era on quarterback sneaks, and this season they are 50% on third and one and third and two, it feels like to me like we we are officially at the point of trying it again. And that Ryan Day said, Kyle hasn't had a lot of opportunities, and it is hard to do in practice. I think we see a sneak against Maryland. I also think we see a sneak against Maryland. Um, I'm I'm very very curious to see what it'll look like because they've done it. They've basically done it like two different ways, which is traditional get up under center, snap the ball, quarterback just kind of dives over the top. Um, the other way is line up in the shotgun or the pistol and like a bluff, bluff the hand clap, turn to the sideline like they're doing a check with me play, sort of walk up to the line of scrimmage like, what? I didn't hear what you said. What are we doing? And like, it's very funny. One of them was watching like Jackson Smith and Jigba like throws his hands up in the air. <laughs> like he's really, he's really selling it. Yeah. And then while the defense is often in those times, the defense is either like standing or standing and looking to its own sideline. And then Ohio State's under center snapping the ball. And Ohio State ends up getting four yards on a quarterback sneak because the defense wasn't even looking at them when the ball was snapped. So they, they have that too. Um, they have average like three yards per sneak, which is pretty crazy. It's not like they've, they're just getting across the goal line or getting across the line to gain. When they do it, they actually move the ball. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. So that's sneaking it. 
we had a, a, a texter, uh, Brian, I think boiled this down very nicely and that the short yarded strategy should be sneak it or sling it. I'm in. So that means we got to talk slinging it. And we'll do that next on Kings of Columbus. All right. Sneak it or sling it. We're on to the sling it portion of this. Asking the texters. Again, if you want to be a tech subscriber. Two-week free trial. I think our I think our, our sticky rate was at 95%. It's down to 93. But that's Oof. okay. Still very high. You like it. We just think if you try it, you might like it. 614-662-4509. We send analysis. We send recruiting information. We send surveys. And then you can be part of the show like this. We do call-outs for questions. It's six bucks a month. That's not nothing. It's not nothing. We are, we are not like, ah, come on. It's all the six bucks is six bucks. That's like, that's a real amount of money. It's like 20 cents a day. So, you know, especially now in season, you don't have, it's, it's not like a, you have to sign up for a year. You can stop whenever you want. So you, you, you end instantaneously when you want to stop. You just type stop. So like, you know, they're coming off a of bye week, kind of go time for the Buckeyes in a wide open national championship race, which we're going to talk about a tiny bit in the, uh, the texture question part of the show. We'll get into that. Like, that's a show coming later, like bigger picture. We talked about a little bit on, on Kings of the North on Monday, Landis. We did think there were like eight to 10 teams that were legitimately capable of winning a national title this year. Correct. Yeah, it was. It, it's probably, probably, honestly, double at least double the amount of teams I think you would typically consider at this point in the year. And guess what? Ohio State's one of them. So if you want to be in, right? It's like, hey, splurge for a couple months for a month, or splurge for two weeks. It's the best kind of splurge there is. It's a free splurge. Six one four six six two four five zero nine. You sign up. You don't pay for two weeks. All right. Should they throw it or sling it more on short yardage? Yes, eighty six percent. 86% of the texters said, yes, throw it more on short yardage. 90% said more sneaks. 86% said more throws. So I looked at, and again, these are not Landis stats. So these are not as good as Landis stats. These are the third and three or shorter. Okay. And it doesn't include fourth down because the CFBstats.com does include fourth down, but they don't have yardage for fourth down. They just lump all the fourth downs together. Not a criticism. We appreciate their free stats. So it's just third and one, third and two, third and three. This season only, how often do you throw it? And I did, I all this research that I did was the top 11 in the AP poll because Bama's 11 and I wanted to include Bama. So that's why I didn't do 10. So of those teams, Ohio State throws it on third and short the eighth most of the 11 teams, okay? And the teams that throw it less than them are much more successful when they run it. So it is not a surprise that the two teams who throw it the least on third and short of those top 11 are Michigan and Alabama. But their conversion rate on third down is way past Ohio State. So here's how often the percentage of times they throw on third and short. Okay, you understand what I'm saying, Landis? Am I saying this right? Got you. Oregon, 42% of the time they throw. Georgia, 37%. Washington, 35%. USC and Notre Dame, 33%. Texas, 29%. Penn State, 28%. Ohio State, 25%. Then it's Florida State, Michigan, Alabama. Michigan only throws at 12%, and Alabama only throws at 11%. But they're, like, awesome at it. So comparing Ohio State 
to themselves over the years, they have roughly thrown it around 25% of the time every year under Ryan. That's right in the range. In 2019, they threw it maybe more like 15% of the time, but that's because they ran it really successfully in 2019 yep. with J.K. Dobbins. So the thing that I think I would zero in on here, Landis, is they throw it more than Michigan and Alabama, but I think when we think about whatever, I don't even want to say the word. I don't want to say the T word. I'm going to say the P word, physical. I'm not going to say the T word because there's plenty of ways that you can be T. Being T isn't only about being P, right? Correct. So this is about, and, and I don't even know if that's the right word because you could, you know what we could do? You can block the heck out of people on an RPO and throw it, right? Doesn't mean you're not physical. On a pass play, you know what your receivers can do? Like get off press coverage by being physical at the point of attack and getting open and being and being physical on a pass play on third and short. There's just a little bit of a difference in identity. Alabama and Michigan don't throw it as well as Ohio State. But when you think about teams that are throwing it successfully this year, Oregon, Washington, USC, all throw it more on third and short than Ohio State does. And I was very surprised to see where Georgia was. And I'm not going to go back and look at all the plays, but there's got to be a little bit of play action there. They must be faking some stuff and flipping passes to running backs and tight ends there. Yeah. But it's, but it's again, more effective than what Ohio State's doing. So the bottom line is Ohio State is not effective on third and short compared to basically anybody, but compared to the other best teams in the country. But they still run it a lot. And I think that's a bad combination of percentages. Yeah, I I agree with you. I it's because if you look at I I went back and looked at um I included third down and fourth down when I was going through all the box scores from the last five years or four plus years, um lately like the last two years basically and and kind of the last three, it's been about the same conversion rate whether or not they're throwing or passing in those situations, um. Which leads me to believe, like, if, if that's the case, and we all know their personnel sort of lends itself to throwing the ball more anyway, so why don't you why don't you just throw it more? Um, so I think they should. Uh, I don't I don't know that you know lining up as often as some of these other teams are doing and trying to run it like they're not built like a Michigan and Alabama um, personnel wise. And I'm not saying they're worse off; they're just different. Um, so obviously those teams operate that way. I think Ohio State is much more inclined to line up in eleven personnel, spread it out, and try to throw the ball on third down and. They do it fine. Like they do, if you include fourth down, their percentage does go up a little bit. If you include fourth and short, their pass percentage does go up a little bit. But I still think there's room to do it more than they do. Which is almost an, I don't want to say an indictment, but it's an indication of something that when it really, 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 really matters on fourth down, then they do throw it a little bit more. Right. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the thing that everyone always says why about Ryan Day. Like, why does he call the third down play on fourth down? Right. That when it's do or die. Somebody brought this up, one of the texters. I thought it was a, at least a point worth discussing. Um, I thought it in the moment, or at least on the rewatch, right after the game, as we did the postgame after Ohio State Notre Dame. I think it's on the Emeka Abuka jet sweep, <laughs> short yardage failure. Marvin was on the wide side of the, because they ran that to the short side, right? Didn't they run that jet sweep to the boundary? Yes. So Marvin was on the field side alone with off coverage. Yep. And it certainly looked like to the naked eye. Now, I don't, again, I've gotten in trouble over the years. I think you can get in trouble. You're certainly thousands times more an X and O guy than me. 
like every now and then I try to do like an X and O thing on social media, or whatever. And I like do a screenshot and say, look at this. And then people are like, yeah, but like, if you did this, here's why it would fail. You, ni- you idiot. Yeah. So I don't want to do that here, but I will say this. Didn't it look like there was off coverage? And if they just would have snapped it and slung it to Marvin, they would have had an easy two yard gain. I don't know. I know it's not that easy. The corner probably breaks on the ball as soon as you do that, but it was weird. It was off coverage on Marv on fourth and one. Yeah, like yeah, but we saw we saw CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison do like a bunch of sight adjustments on slants on third and much longer against Penn State last year. So will the DB drive on the ball? Probably, but he's ten yards off the line of scrimmage. He only got to get one yard. So like Marvin, it's not, it doesn't have to be a slant. It's almost like a drag. Just like yeah. just start, just literally start running horizontally. <laughs> don't even take a step forward. Catch the ball and just fall to the ground if you want to, because you're going to get the first down. So I don't know. I don't think it was built into that play. Like Marvin didn't run a route, right? And yeah, and, he just stood there. Yeah, and Kyle, even if it was built into the play, like Kyle McCord got stepped on and was like falling to the ground as he handed the ball to Emeka Abuka because we were trying to figure out on that play in particular, if it was supposed to be a fake to a Mecca and then a pitch out the chip because chip ran out that way wide. A couple of the offensive linemen on that side also kind of ran out wide. Um, but we were Austin actually asked somebody in the Woody after that game, like, was he supposed to like fake the handoff to a Mecca and then pitch at the chip? And they said, no, it just looked kind of weird because Kaga stepped on and was falling to the ground as he handed it off. But that, that, that was the design the whole way. So in terms of success, and again, the Landis stats are better. I'm doing the generic regular person stats. You're doing the in-depth Landis X and O stats. Right. The generic person stats on third and three, third and two, third and one lumped together. Their success rate in 19 and 20 on pass versus run was basically identical. In 2021, they were better running it, 74% on third down, uh, 74% running it, 61% passing it. Last year, they were better passing. They still ran it far more, but they converted 64% of those third and shorts throwing and only 49% running. And this year, it's 50% passing, 42% running. So, like again, the that it's the how often they throw has stayed the same in the Ryan Day era. But in the there was a time when they were better running. In the beginning, it was like it was even, and then in year three of Ryan Day, they were better. So okay, yeah, no, we get we get it. We get it why you run three quarters of the time. But that has not been the case the last two years. And I I do think they just have to get here. I think they have to get to a world where on these, you know, generally speaking, I think they should be throwing it on third and short, whatever the specific number is, much more like 35, 40, 45% of the time than 25% of the time. I don't think that is an unreasonable thing. It does not mean you're not T. It just means you're S. You're smart. Smart. You're doing what you do best. Yeah, I agree with that. And and I think too, I, I think maybe just more generally and they're like 11 personnel shotgun is not an inherently passing formation, but I think we tend to think of things that way. You can certainly run the ball out of those looks, but I just think lining up that way will help them tremendously. I was looking up um, conversions by personnel grouping as I, as I went through some of this stuff, this is just for this year when they're in 11 personnel, which is one tight end, one running back, they're four for six converting in short yardage. When they're in 12, excuse me, 12 personnel, which is two tight ends, one running back, they're two for six. And then when they get jumbo, like three tight ends and two running backs, they're over two. 
So like they're they're way better doing it at eleven at eleven personnel. Whether they're that's just on runs, by the way. Not that doesn't include any passes. That's just runs out of those personnel groupings. So if they line up in eleven personnel, they run it better. And obviously, if they line up in eleven personnel, they can throw it better and throw it more often. So I don't I like I don't know why we're still playing the game of let's get all of our tight ends on the field and try to push everybody. And if you're gonna get all the tight ends on the field and try to push everybody, sneak it. Yeah. That's that's fine. If you want to do that, like you're not going to run a QB sneak at 11 personnel. But if you're going to put all your biggest bodies on the field, run a quarterback sneak. And if you're not going to do that, get them off the field because I don't want to watch their down plays from Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Booker on the sideline. What's the point? Yeah. And we, I sent you a couple plays that Washington ran. Again, we're talking about a world where Washington does throw it. Washington throws it 35, 35% of the time. Ohio State does it 25% of the time. Washington scored a couple touchdowns against Arizona with receivers on the field still spread out and two really nice counteractions where it was almost like threat of the jet sweep speed threat creates an alley for a running back from the shotgun to be able to sort of power in on, on a wide toss like like pretty easily you know so i like it it there's there's plenty of ways to do it there are plenty of ways to do it so it feels like they're just trapped a little bit in i don't know like, I don't know if it's true. It still feels like they're trying to prove something rather than just using their best players to call the most effective plays. That's like a, that's like a pretty, I don't know. It's a pretty harsh accusation of like, what? Like you're, you're not just doing the best play to win the game. You're trying to prove something. I absolutely thought they got caught in that last year. I, I don't feel like they're as caught in it this year, but. Whenever we have the T discussion, the T discussion for me comes down to moments like this. I don't, it doesn't really matter what you say. It's great. Great. If you don't, if you want to call people out for challenging your toughness, great, fine. But just like make sure it doesn't affect your play calling. And to get in three tight ends, two running backs, and run the ball on the goal line with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka on the sideline when you have like a year and a half of data that shows like that's not really what you do best. It feels like to me that you are caught at least to some degree in trying to show people something rather than just winning the best way you're built to win. I think I think it's difficult because like you should be able to get that yard, right? You should be able to line up with three tight ends and two running backs and get the yard you need to get. They're just not. So if they're if they're not, then then why keep trying to do it? But I but I do think there's frustration that creeps in with it. It's like I, I, Ryan Day, like I think very clearly gets frustrated with this stuff. Like, why can't we just get the yard? Why can't we just line up and push people and get the yard? I don't know. I, I, that requires probably some self-reflection that that I, I, don't, I don't think you or I are, are equipped to, to help them with. Um, but at the moment, they need to do whatever is working, and that stuff's not working. And I think you're right. I think they are trying it less um, this year. They got they got burned on it against Notre Dame a couple times, obviously. Season long, they are probably doing it less than they did it last year. I just, I honestly, I just don't think they should do it at all. Like, I don't, I know Ryan Day likes two tight ends because it's like versatile and creates mismatches. And I'm not saying there's not, there's not room to play with two tight ends at, at points during the game. Um, but in these situations in particular, I just think they rely on it too much when, when they are built to attack teams a different way. So again, should they throw more on short yardage? Yes or no? Absolutely. Will they start to throw more on short yardage? Yes or no? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. So we're looking for solutions here. We're not just bringing up problems. We're looking for solutions. And we've come up with sneak it or sling it. And you have some degree of confidence that they're going to head that direction. And we're going to see a little less of A, 
ramming a dude into the offensive line, whether it's Mayan or Chip or Trey, like that's probably not their strength. And B, like jet sweep time. Because to me, once you're to jet sweep time, it's like just throw it. Yeah. Right? Well, at least, Horsey. yeah. The 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 Emeka Abuka Notre Dame style jet sweep anyway. You want to bring back the old JT Barrett pop pass? I can I can I think I can get behind that. Yeah, there was um Washington, it wasn't necessarily short yardage. Washington like ran a play last week where it was like an option pitch, but the back was in front of Michael Penix, so it was a pass. Oh. But it was like they really kind of ran option on the edge. With it, with a chance for him to keep it, but then when he didn't keep it, it was like, oh, let's pad the passing stats, just like they used to do. It was like, hey, JT Barrett threw thirty-eight touchdown passes in twenty fourteen, but nine of them traveled four inches in the air because they were <laughs> they were a jet sweep. I could remember like when that came, that felt like so revolutionary, and like I remember being like asking Tom Herman, like, why, why do you guys run that as a pass? And he was like, because then if you drop it, it's incomplete. It's not a fumble. And I was like. Oh yeah, no, that actually <laughs> makes a ton of sense. Sorry. I thought it was like they're just stat padding. It's like, no, there's an actual reason for it. Yeah. So you'd be okay with that? I, I like just generally would like to see that come back to the offense. Like Ryan Day just doesn't or hasn't not done it. Um, but I think that's another way to get the ball on the perimeter quickly, which I think is what they want to maybe do a little more in some of these situations, whether that's quick reliefs in the pass game or or just quick game in general. But I think that's another way to do it. All right. Last one more thing to talk about here on the short yardage issue. We'll do that next on Kings of Columbus. All right, Landis. So in the end, we're not just like complaining to complain. They aren't as good as at this as the other best teams in the country. Of that top 11 in the AP poll that I cited previously, um, they're 10th in third and short conversion rate. They're only better than Texas, which by the way, like... uh People are really on Texas, and I think Texas is going to lose to Oklahoma on Saturday. There are just some, I do think there are some like inherent things with Texas like this. Texas is terrible. Texas is like below 30%. And so um, Ohio State's not good, but, but the other teams, there are teams that are significantly better than them at this. And in the end, right, it doesn't matter how you do it. We talked about throw it more, sneak it more, run it less. What personnel grouping, whatever. It just boils down to whether you're successful or not. And if they're yep. successful, nobody cares how they're successful. They're not successful enough right now. And they're good. They are good. Everybody else in the country that's as good as them, everybody but Texas is better than them. So it's a problem that needs fixing. And that's just like, that's why we're spending this much time on it. Yeah, it's it's like about like Ryan Day made the point like the way he described it was it's frustrating to see them move the ball up and down the field, which actually like if they, they've done if you look at some of the underlying numbers, like if you look at um, available yards is a stat that I like to, to determine whether or not enough is just simply moving the ball percentage of yards available to you. How many of them do you actually gain? Ohio State's ninth in the country. Um, they've been better than that in the past, but they're ninth in the country. They're still really good, but they're not finishing drives enough because I think they get bogged down in these situations. Um, it's it's kept them um, from finishing key drives, especially against Notre Dame. So, like that's what we're talking about. We're not. I I don't think we're trying to be panicky for the sake of being panicky. We're just I, I think trying to lay out like you need to be good in situational football to beat 
the best teams in the country. And Ohio State has beaten a lot of really good teams while being deficient in this area. And and it's not to say they couldn't do it again, but wouldn't you want them to be better? Don't you want them to show progress? Um, so that's why we're talking about some of the ways they can be better here. So looking at these other teams, right? Again, this is there's different styles to it. And when Ryan Day talked about that 80% on third and one, third and two, you back off a little bit on third and three, right? Again, we're lumping all of that together, third and one, third and two, and third and three. Nobody's at 80% this year, right? So this is this is a reminder. I do think it it, it is a little bit valuable. As I, I've kind of thought it, I think as a fan, it's very easy to think, man, everybody else's conversion rate on third and short must be like 100%. And it's, yeah. it's not that easy. It's not guaranteed. But when you look... Compared to the other teams, Oregon, almost 74%. Bama, 72%. Michigan, almost 71%. So those are the three teams in the top 11, over 70%. Penn State's at 64, still good. Georgia, 56. Notre Dame, 56. Florida State, 55, right? So again, that's everybody who's over 50%, at least, on these on these third and short yardage conversions. USC's right at 50%. Washington's at 47 Ohio State, 43.8. Texas, 29.4. Like the gap between Ohio State and what Oregon, Alabama, and Michigan is doing, like that feels like the kind of gap that loses a game, right? That, hey, yeah. Ohio State played right with Oregon, Bama, and Michigan, but they converted and stayed on the field or converted touchdowns and didn't settle for field goals or didn't get stopped on the goal line, and Ohio State did, and that's why Ohio State lost. And so I think in the context of the other teams in the country, like it's just, it's clearly not good enough. Yeah. I think that, cause we, if you even look at like, and this is not, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison because it wasn't technically a short yardage rate, but Ohio state should have won the 2019 Fiesta bowl against Clemson, but they didn't cause they couldn't finish drives. Um, it's less of an issue, I guess, last year against, against Georgia. Um, although they did have the one drive they didn't finish. It was, it was kind of key late in that game. Like that's all it is. Like you gotta, you have to get touchdowns and you get touchdowns by doing this stuff. Like you can, you can score on one play 50-yard touchdown drives. Ohio State's certainly capable of that, but the moment will arise when you have to show an ability to convert in these areas. And Ohio State, I don't know that they need to be like worlds better, drastically better. If you look at some of these comparisons, they just need to be a little better than they are right now. And again, when you're looking at Oregon's leading this list at 73.7% right now, in 2019, Ohio State was 75.5 on third and three, third and two, third and one. 2020, they were 73.3. They're right there. 2021 even, they were 71.2. So this is where they used to be. They used to be at the top of a list like this. Last year, 52.5. Right now, 43.8. So this is something that has cropped up. Again, if you want to draw the line at the Michigan game in 2021, but really it's last year and this year. And do you agree? We'll, we'll go back to the question I asked the texters at the very beginning, like the concern level of it could lose them a game. Do you feel like that this is the kind of thing that could lose them a game this season? Yes, I, I do. Yep. I actually think like, I, I don't think that list is particularly long, but I, this is, this is on it. Things that could lose them a game. Yes. I, and I feel like the two things, you know, if we coming off last year, the two things you would say is short yardage conversion on offense and giving up big plays on defense. And it feels like they've, changed a lot as we've discussed of their defense to get better at not giving up big plays so one thing not only is it fixed but there were like it was a wholesale philosophical change by the guy in charge of the defense to fix it and yep. by the way 
they're playing better. They got some better players in there. Their secondary, I think just from a talent standpoint, is better than a year ago. But Ryan's always talking about, what's he talking about? Players, coaching, scheme, right? Those are the three things. I feel like in addressing the biggest issue of the defense from a year ago, they've adjusted all three of those things. And in addressing the biggest issue from the offense a year ago, I don't like, have they addressed any of it? No, it looks, it looks very similar. Their, their way of addressing it was like, Oh, we're going to throw that uh, fullback pass more than they did last year, but that's it. All right. So your research. So you're, you're reasonably concerned as a devout researcher of short yardage situations. I am sorry. I was, I was expertly fighting back a sneeze there. Yes. Uh, I am. I am concerned. Um, like it's been an, it's been an issue in the two games they played against like the power five teams indiana and notre dame um and i don't obviously indiana is not of the caliber of notre dame nor is it of the caliber of the big games that ohio state's going to play later this year but it is a little alarming to me that this has shown up the most in those kind of games okay all right that's a good healthy 50 minutes on short yardage you won't find it you won't uh, nobody did landis's research Nobody else is having their significant other walk into the room and have, and then as a result are questioning their lives because of the research they're doing. That's only Bill Landis. I don't, I don't question it. I don't question it. I just, I just want to point out the absurdity of it, but I'm, I'm, I'm I'm very comfortable in these waters. You accept the absurdity. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we got to uh, get some more questions from texters. We're not doing as many as we do when it's like a whole show of it. We got like five or six. We'll talk a little bit about the playoff. And we have another concert question because Bill has cracked open a door here. We'll do that next on Kings of Columbus. All right, back with texter questions. I don't want to say the number like a thousand times a show and bother everybody, but yeah, people are curious. 614-662-4509. If you want to be a tech subscriber, you get a two-week free trial. This is from Eric. How much of Ryan Day continuing to call plays is a product of him not being able to let it go? Versus being underwhelmed by Brian Hartline in the spring. You can't say 50-50 or a little bit of both. And I respect you kneecapping us on the answers because that's what I try to do when I ask questions, Landis. So which one is it then? I have no reason to say that it is um, him being unimpressed with Brian Hartline because I, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think that's it. I think it is 99.9% Ryan Day being unable to fully let it go at this point. I actually think it might be, and I don't want to say unimpressed, but I think if if in the spring Ryan Day thought like, oh, this is this guy's the next Lincoln Riley. Like this is, okay. Like it's a difficult thing that he kind of was having a hard time doing. But if you have, if the guy blows you away, the person that you're handing it off to blows you away, then I think it makes it easier to let go of. So I, I thought there was room for that. That like, oh, this, because the thing I don't think he could could do, he was reluctant anyway, but the idea of we're not going to be as good calling plays if I do this, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a high bar because Ryan Day has been doing this for a long time. It's how he got the head coaching job at Ohio State because he was so good at it. Yes, Gene Smith said culture and all that stuff. If he wasn't a good play caller, he wouldn't be the head coach at Ohio State. Imagine how good you have to be. People think the Ohio State head coaching job is the best job in college football. How did Ryan Day, no Ohio connections, coming from like a fired staff in the NFL, how did he become 
the head coach at Ohio State because he called a good game. That's how good he is. So I think he needed to feel that there wouldn't be a drop-off. And I'm not saying this based on anything other than outside observation. I think that's not what he felt. And that's not a criticism of Brian Hartline. But I think then you weren't blown away, and then you fell back on I kind of didn't want to do it anyway. So I would say it was actually more of not that, again, the, the phrasing of like not being impressed. That's not at all what I'm saying. But not yeah. being 100% confident there wouldn't be a drop-off. I think that actually was the, the thing. That's more of it. And then you fall back on, eh, I kind of wanted to keep it anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. But then, like, of, of course there was going to be a drop-off. Like, your expectation is it's going to be exactly the same, if not better, with a guy who's never done it before? <laughs> I didn't say it was a reasonable expectation. Okay, as long as we agree <laughs> on that. like, Because that is an, a totally unreasonable expectation for Ryan Day, if yeah. that's the case. Yeah, Because it's one of those things, like at Ohio State, to be like, well, you know, this was kind of re- of a this was a reset year for us anyway. You know, if there's a couple hiccups, that's fine. Where it's in service of down that doesn't exist at Ohio State. Yeah. So you have to have the same level of confidence. I'm not saying it's fair, and I'm not saying it's reasonable. I do think it's reality. When can you ever take a step back at Ohio State? You can't. We'll, we'll take yeah. a little bit of a step back so everybody can learn and grow. Are you kidding me? Learning and growing. There'll be people with torches in the streets. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. I agree with that. All right. Justin Fry. Is Justin Fry, this is from Chris, is Justin Fry an Ohio State level offensive line coach? Landis? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think last year was good. Like, I actually, I, I liked what he did last year. Now you say, like, whoa, he inherited Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. True. Fair. Like, I, that's true. I think that Dewan Jones was a better player than he was the year before when working with Justin Fry. It's hard to say with Paris because Paris didn't play tackle the year before. But if the charge was like get Paris ready to play like a first round left tackle and then become a first round left tackle, he did it. And I thought their offensive line was pretty good last year. Had some deficiencies, sure, but but pretty good last year. Uh, was was very good at what they needed them to be, which is pass blocking for CJ Stroud and those receivers. Um, this year they're working through some stuff, and it's hard for me to make a judgment until we see what this becomes. Um, I don't I don't know what it's going to become. I don't think we can make that judgment off of four games. If you feel like they haven't gotten better over the course of these four games, and I honestly don't know that I have, I think that's a fair criticism of, of Justin Fry. I kind of feel like they've been more or less the same. I don't I don't feel an upward trajectory with them at the moment, um, and I need to start feeling that. I think they feel really good about Justin Fry, but he was good last year. I think his recruiting is okay. Like They didn't get Brandon Baker, and I, I understand that. Well, like the Jordan Seaton's still out there, so if they get Jordan Seaton, I think everyone calms down a little bit. Um, and I know they feel really good about the guys they got last year, even though some of them weren't, weren't highly ranked for whatever that's worth. So, um, yeah, I, I think he is. I think he can be up to that level while still leaving a little something to be desired, if that makes sense. I think coaching, probably yes. I think recruiting, which is part of coaching, certainly up for grabs on that answer. I, I We have no proof that yeah that he is. And now it's being compared to, is he better than Greg Stadrawa who fell off at the end at Ohio state? Um, maybe, but was he, is he as good as like Greg Stadrawa earlier? Greg Stadrawa at Ohio state. Is he as, I mean, even like, right. Like Isaiah Prince, I guess that was Ed Warner, but it's like Isaiah Prince. Did, did we, did, Ed, did the world think that Isaiah Prince was a spectacular starting tackle at Ohio state? No, no. he's a Maryland guy. It was a top 100 national recruit. He got here and started three years. And by the way, he like, Started for a team that played in the Super Bowl in the NFL. So, like, he wasn't Paris Johnson, but like, have they 
they landed a similar non-Ohio national top 100 tackle. When's the last time? Like that's that's what's on the table here. They got to Justin Fry has to do that, right? Doesn't he have to? Yeah, I I honestly don't, I don't know. I th- I think I think the more important thing for Ohio State is actually making sure you're correct in your evaluations with the Midwest offensive linemen, the guys in your backyard, which I actually think Greg Shadaro was was also bad at, and that was, in my opinion, worse than like not getting J.C. Latham. Who's the um, guy you just brought up the other day when we were talking? Uh, like an Ohio guy who's playing well somewhere else. Oh, well, I was talking about Mitchell Evans at Notre Dame, the tight end. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, who by the Bailey's way? Fault. No, I'm just kidding. No, well, well, I think I think Ohio State wanted Mitchell Evans to come here and play offensive line. Like when he was coming out of Wadsworth High School, I think. Um, it's like he's going to be a tackle or a tight end. Then he went to Notre Dame to play tight end. Some other schools, I think, including Ohio State, saw him more as, as a tackle. And then I guess he wanted to play tight end and he looks pretty good at it. But there are other guys like we, we did the tackle pod. We talked about a few other. And it's not like a, it's not a laundry list, right? It's just like two or three guys, right? You take them instead of taking like a Trey LaRue. Um, who's just never going to play here? Like that, that kind of stuff I think is really important. And there's no proof of this other than what you hear from people like in the Woody, right? Like they took three Ohio offensive linemen in Justin Fry's first recruiting class, and they're very high on all three of them Luke Montgomery, Josh Padilla, and Austin Saraville. They're not on the field for us to say whether or not that's true. I'm just telling you what, what we get told by them. But like that's those are the kind of players I think you need to hit on more than, um, well, not more than like if you're going to get four or five stars, and that's great too. But I just don't think Ohio State's ever going to live in that world because I think offensive line recruiting is geographical, probably more than than a lot of other positions. Um, so they got to make sure they're hitting on that stuff. Like, and I, I and I think Justin Fry probably has a better eye for and a willingness to do the digging to find those right kind of players. Jerry's out. Jerry's out. We we need to see it because there's a, devel- a development part too, right? Again, it's. I've talked about it plenty. Ed Warner got mad at me at the end of his career when I said they weren't recruiting well in the offensive line. But like Pat Elfline, low-rated guy that Ed Warner develops into an all-Big Ten player who goes whatever it was in the third or fourth round of the NFL draft. Like that works too, right? Yeah. And or you Billy said Price Ron, too. Like Billy Price, the high school defensive lineman who comes here right. and because the first-round pick is an offensive lineman. Yeah. And that, you know, yeah, Justin Fry finished off Dewan Jones, but Greg Stadrawa like was – sort of like got him here and and helped create what Dewan Jones became. Yep. So you got to do one or the other. You got to land big national dudes who everybody wanted and are maybe going to be great no, no matter where they go. Or you got to get lower rated Midwest kids and develop the heck out of them. And I don't, it does, we don't have proof he's done the first and we don't, it just hasn't, he hasn't had the time to do the second. But you've got to do one of the two if yep. you're going to have great offensive linemen out of Ohio State. Yeah, I agree. All right. This is our guy, Luke, who was on this, and then Jim Knowles said what Luke thought at uh, the news conference on Tuesday, so he was very excited. He said, I went through both touchdown drives by Notre Dame, and I texted you both, and I didn't think it was a result of fatigue because I said to Jim Knowles, like, do you think they were tired? And Jim Knowles said, no. I thought it was a result of Notre Dame using a lot of motion and pulls that distracted Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers and changed the run fits. And then that led to missed tackles. And then Luke goes into it more. And Jim Knowles basically said that and kind of said that Tommy and Steele didn't have a great game and they need to play better. But Jim Knowles also said, I didn't make the adjustments and he particularly specifically, this is why Luke's so excited, specifically talked about the motion and the way they use the tight end and changing some of the gaps. Um, It's odd. The linebackers have been very good the last two years. Does it feel like 
a one-off there that like Jim Knowles will do a better job getting them ready and then Eichenberg and Chambers will get back to what they were doing? Or did you see anything with the linebackers against Notre Dame that you're a little curious about? Um, I think it's I think mostly a one-off. The one thing that I do have in the back of my mind is that Tommy and Steele are not the biggest linebackers in the world. And if they're going up against a really good offensive line that is getting to the second level and kind of covering those guys up, um, I th- I think it could be a recurring issue. I'm I'm not saying that's the direction that we're headed. It just I'm going to be on alert for it the next time they play an offensive line that I think is like capable of that, and maybe they don't see that until they play Penn State and then probably Michigan after that. Maybe, maybe Wisconsin. They've they've got a couple of decent guys. Um, so I think that was part of it. I think it was mostly that Tommy and Steele didn't play their best. I think in a game where they were seeing things that they hadn't really prepared for. So like that's co- that's coaching and and players, and, and I'm glad that Jim Knowles. Um, took some responsibility in that. I agree with Luke. Like I, I talked a lot about like, oh, I wonder if they were just getting worn down like immediately after the game and going back and watch it. It didn't like I didn't feel like Ohio State was getting knocked off the ball because they were tired. I do think it was run fits, bad eyes, um, and then missed tackles a time or two. All right, this is from Matthew. Please talk me out of my madness. But is this year's Ohio State defensive success against big plays occurring because teams are now trying to eat clock with long drives instead? And I think no. Uh, and you kind of pointed this out, Landis, that, that maybe Notre Dame wanted to try to take some shots and Ohio State just took it away. I think they are eating clock because Ohio State's taking it away. I don't think they're choosing to eat clock and then they're not even trying and that's why the big plays aren't happening. I Yeah, I agree with that too. I, like You have to attribute some percentage of it to who they've played, right? Like the, like Indiana, I just think, is, is going to do it. Youngstown State probably isn't going to do it. But like Western Kentucky was trying to create explosive plays and, and couldn't. Yep. And I think Notre Dame was trying to throw the ball down the field and couldn't. So they had to run it a lot and chew up the clock. And it wasn't just against Michigan and Georgia that Ohio State gave up explosive plays last year. And Jim Knowles referenced specifically is like we were giving up explosive plays to Toledo last year. Yeah. Like like it was a it was a season long issue, I think, that we just didn't talk about all that much because they put 72 points up on Toledo and no one cared that they gave up a few long touchdowns. Um that they have not surrendered any to their first four opponents that attacked them in four, I think, pretty different ways with varying levels of skill, ranging from FCS to a really good team in Notre Dame. Um, I think all of that's real. So it'll be tested more, for sure, uh, starting this week against Maryland. But I don't think it's like smoke and mirrors. I think they are better at it. I do think in the end it could get interesting against Michigan, though, because if Ohio State continues on this path and doesn't give up big plays, and the result is Michigan's like, okay, here's a 12-play. Yeah. 75 yard, six minute and 11 second drive. How do you like that? And Ryan Day is going to be going crazy because Ohio State's going to have not enough plays and not enough possessions. Like Michigan, what Michigan burned Ohio State with last year, I think they're much more capable of putting drives together this year with what they've shown. And that could be a problem for Ohio State as well. That I, I do think it's possible. I'm in on the bend, but don't break. But actually, that might not work against Michigan because I think you'll bend and bend and bend, and then Michigan might break you. So I do think it's possible this style, and Jim Knowles was talking Tuesday about, you sort of change your approach and how often you... I think they might be getting through this now, getting everybody used to not giving up big plays. But when they get to Michigan, I think they might have to be more aggressive. Otherwise, they're going to run the ball and and J.J. McCarthy's going to hit intermediate throws and Ohio State might be in a tough spot. Yeah, I and I think like if I'm defending Michigan, I want if for as good as JJ McCarthy has looked in some of these games, I want him to prove against my good defense that he can sit in the pocket and make reason throw the ball down the field. 
So I, I think they probably will take a different approach in a game like that. Don't take the you know, take the easy stuff away. Make him make harder throws, and then just make the tackle when he makes them. Same thing with Drew Aller too, another an inexperienced quarterback. Don't blow the coverages. Yeah. All right, this is our guy Sean bringing up Ari, which is always great to have Ari Wasserman uh, with us spiritually on the podcast. Ari has been burning the torch against expanding the playoff to 12 teams on Twitter this week. He tweeted this after this season, Ohio state won't play another meaningful regular season game ever again. Oh, that doesn't sound like something he would say. No. Uh, what do you think of Ari's argument against expanding to 12? And do you think he's right about Ohio state's regular games, meaning far less starting next year? Uh, I, there's another 12 team question that I want to get to, but we'll keep it at this for now. Uh, no, Yeah. no, should every Ohio State five-star recruit move to Malibu in the middle of their freshman year? No. I guess he thinks it. And we'd say the same thing if he was here. It makes me wish he was here. No. No. You have to, we all have to change our definitions of meaningful. But the thing that is going to happen that it's, I don't think Ari is taking this into account now is, are players and coaches and fans still going to want to win on Saturday, regardless of like what it means? Are they still going to want to win? Are they going to be like, ah, it doesn't matter if we win. They're still going to want to win, and you're still going to be mad if you lose. But I have been very much on the idea of like, I think we're past the point in a world of NIL, in a world of billion-dollar television contracts, in a world of social media, in a world of mental health. I think we have to be done with the idea that, hey, Congrats on all your off-season work, but your national title hopes are dead in September because that's cool. And I understand why the sport worked that way before. No other sport like in the world works that way right now. And so to now want to hold the college football to that standard, oh, it's going to be meaningless if you can't ruin your season in week two. I, I just I don't know why we think that's better. I understand, and I've evolved on this, and I understand why we thought it before. But I just doesn't, don't think it makes any sense to think it now. Because, yes, a school like Ohio State is going to have a lot of wiggle room. Because I've said a two-loss Ohio State is in every single year. That's a lot of wiggle room. But you still care about seeding. You still care about home games. And guess what? If you take your second loss in October, you can't lose in November. It's still going to matter. And to yeah. throw, a word, throw around words like me, they're not going to play another meaningful game. I mean, it's just, it's just already throwing out takes man like it's not it's not like a realistic view of modern college football i don't i don't disagree with any of that and i also think that like when the time comes i i, I don't know i think it'll still feel the same i think the energy in the stadium for high state michigan will still feel the same i think stadium like happy valley is still going to be a tough place to play during a whiteout because people will still be juiced up for it right like lsu alabama at night in baton rouge is still going to be awesome because that's just how it is. Like I, I, I'm not really fearful of any of that. I actually, if you think like it's pointless because uh, some some belt team is going to get like quote get into the playoff, I want to get waxed by Alabama. And like, why are we doing this? Don't watch the game then. I don't know. I think it, it creates more meaningful games at large. Um, certainly, does it take a little shine off of like Ohio State's games? I I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. Like I, we can all worry about it now, but I think when we're in it it's still going to feel very much the same. We're all going to be anxious and feeling crazy and texting like maniacs when the game's over if Ohio State loses or doesn't win by enough points. I just don't think we have to live in a world where 
if a loss doesn't ruin your season and your life, it means the game was meaningless. I just don't think that's where we are. And this is like the same kind of discussion of like, if you don't win the national title, your season's a failure. Yeah. It's like, is it? So then 132 teams fail every year and only one team has a successful year. Like, what are we doing? And I, I, I honestly, I do feel like it truly is a mental health discussion. And just like the pressure that is on these and, and that, that, that the amount of pressure, it only exists in the world for the unpaid 20-year-olds. But the NFL players can be like, yeah, we're, we had an, a great year. We were 14 and three. And if you're at Ohio State or Alabama and Georgia and you lose three times, you'd be like, freaking out like what yeah. like why why do we have to live that way so like i i don't and i i'm not angry at ari but i'm cuz we love ari but i just feel like it's like it's not like a and like if you feel that way I, like nobody else is going to feel that way the players are not going to feel like the game is not meaningful they're not and like you said the people in the stands people watching if you feel that way i just think like that's like that's about you but like that can't be what we worry about yeah like I had, a, I, I, I just, I'm really in on. You've got to let them lose, and I, and I had a good conversation with CJ Stroud about this last year. And I think just to live in a world where you must seek and achieve perfection, or feel like you failed, that's no way to live. It's no way to live. Uh, Twelve team question to follow that up. This is Josh. If the playoff was expanding to twelve teams this year, I would a feel more confident this Ohio State team would win the Natty. They'll figure things out and peak at the right time. B, feel less confident in this Ohio State team. There's too many landmines to jo dodge. C, feel no difference in probability for my Ohio State national title hopes. What would you choose? You'd If, the, if there was 12 teams right now, you'd be more, less, or equally confident about their national title hopes. I'd be I'd be in the AA category, right? That's, that's more confident. Like, yes. Room, margin for error. And an ability to ramp up while well, maintaining your ability to ramp up with something and playing your best football at the end of the year. Yeah, I would I would very much be in the A category. And I think history shows you that. That's always the case with Ohio State. Get in, they've got a shot. Other than 16. I think I said on this podcast that Ohio State had not been shut out since 93. I was talking about somebody and they were like, no, 16 in the playoff against Clemson. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. That one fell out of my brain. So I guess I was looking at regular season games and not playoff games. So like, don't go get shut out in the playoff. But I do like most of the time. That was the exception to the rule. That that was the one team that didn't deserve to get in and got in anyway and then showed why they didn't deserve to be in. The rest of the time in the playoff era, Ohio State's been good enough to deserve to be in, and they got, they got tripped up along the way. So Ohio State absolutely lives in that world, especially in a world where those games are indoor or in uh, warm weather. Yeah, Get in, take your shot. Last one from Adam. I know you guys covered going solo to concerts this summer, but what about when you're not in the general admission section? My wife had a change of plans and now can't go see Depeche Mode with me next month. So I'd be standing alone the whole time next to an empty seat. Should I still go solo? Well, first of all, if you're going to see Depeche Mode, you've got your own personal Jesus with you right there <laughs> next door. Should he go? Yeah. Yeah, he should go. I don't, I, I've actually not been to a ton of like arena concerts. Most of the concerts I've been to have been in like old school general admission music halls. Um, so I don't have, I don't think I have any experience going to a concert by myself in an arena, but yeah, like when you're standing and everyone else is standing, you're not even going to notice that the seat is open next to you. It's going to be just a jumbled mass of people standing in a row. So 
Uh, maybe at the beginning when like you're sitting there and no one is on their feet yet, it might feel a little weird. Then walk around, go get a beer, go get a, a soft pretzel, go buy some t-shirts. And yeah. then when the music starts, just make sure in your seat, stand in and dance with everybody else. You don't, you don't even notice. I think there is like a scale of the more you love the band, the easier it is to go by yourself. If you truly love the band and you know the lyrics to every song, I don't even know if you don't want somebody there. It's like your friend is the band. Yeah. If it's kind of like, ah, I like them. I know their radio songs. I know like five of the songs. And then they're going to play like 18 songs that you kind of don't know. I do think that's a little bit of a different equation. So I don't know sure. yep. how much Adam likes Depeche Mode. Um, and they, you know, I don't think they're going to play Personal Jesus 23 times. Which if I like Depeche Mode, but if I went to the show, I'd be like, can you just play Personal Jesus 23 times? Because I'm not <laughs> sure I know another one. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but go go just experience life it'll be okay and you'll make friends all right when we come back this leads us into the segment that i occasionally forget exists but when we do it we love it it's what you're watching what you're eating what you're thinking next on kings of columbus what you're watching what you're eating what you're thinking and i have like an actual like watching that like i think we have to talk about it's this peacock stuff um that they announced this week that the ohio state purdue football game is going to be on peacock which is a streaming service and then they came out with the basketball schedule there's a gazillion big 10 basketball games on peacock including like five ohio state basketball games including the pen the ohio state texas a&m basketball game which is like a big deal right is that right yeah i also think i think there's an ohio state indiana game on peacock as well so I, I did do a survey that was just kind of for informational for the texters um, about Peacock. This was not with the basketball stuff. It was only after uh, the Ohio State Purdue game on October 14th was announced as being on Peacock. I said, like, how are you going to watch it? 44% said I already subscribed to Peacock and I'll watch it that way. 26% said I'll pay the six bucks for Peacock just to get the game. Um, 13% will borrow someone's sign in. Uh, 7% are going to go to a bar. 2% will go to somebody's house that has Peacock. Only 9% said they'll sit this one out because like they don't have access to Peacock. Um, and then like asking people if they hate this or not. Only 20% said like, I hate that this is on streaming service and I'm mad about it, right? 42% said it's a pain, but I'll deal with it. 37% said like, it's just part of the new world, baby. Like this is, this yeah. is where we are. So I thought the hate might be higher than 20%. This is a tech subscription on your phone. So it's, I know for a fact we have people in their 70s and 80s on the tech subscription. I have corresponded with them. I know for it's not only a bunch of teenagers and 20 and 30-somethings that are on the tech subscription, but I bet it does skew a little younger than the Ohio State fan base as a whole. So I don't know. This whole thing, what you're watching, I hope people are watching the Ohio State-Purdue game I guess it's just the way of the world now. There's a part of me that actually when there's multiple games on basketball, you're kind of getting your money's worth. If it's like, well, I got to pay for two months, but I'm getting multiple games rather than like I'm literally paying six bucks for one football game. And also, by the way, it's cheaper if you get it for a year or whatever. I don't know. I just I just hope people can watch their team. Is yeah. this should this be a concern or not? Um, I, I think it's mostly the way of the world now. Well, I, I don't know. I, I come from that from the from a point of view of like I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm a fan of Philadelphia sports teams. Like, if I want to watch my teams play, oh, you I are? have, you I have like, to watch like them. Philadelphia sports I sure do. Yeah. I uh, even I, realize that. Why is that? That's where I'm born and raised. Are, baby. You're, you're from Philadelphia? That's right. No yeah. idea. Have I ever talked about that before? No. Um, but like, I watch the Phillies on MLB TV. I watch the Flyers on the ESPN NHL package. I now watch the Eagles on the YouTube TV. 
um, Sunday ticket package. Um, when the Sixers aren't annoying me, I'll watch them on NBA TV or the NBA uh, League Pass. So, like, I'm used to it, and I get to, like, Ohio State fans, especially Ohio State fans in Ohio, um, aren't used to having to go to those places to find the Buckeyes game. Um, so it's different for them. But I, I, I think it's something you settle into rather seamlessly, and it is good. Like, I, I'm glad that, to your point, it's not just a... I got to buy this thing so I can watch one football game a year. Like if you're someone who's into football and basketball, there's going to be and men's and women's basketball. There's a bunch of yeah. women's basketball games on Peacock as well this year. Actually, there's, there's a lot of women's games and they're going to be Peacock. good. Yeah, they're going to be very good. So if you want to watch them, you kind of have to be there. Um, but you can also do like, you know, Michigan's played on Peacock. If you want to take a peek at Michigan, like there's that, that's an avenue to do too. So I, I do think you'll end up getting your money's worth. And I'm not trying to be a shill for NBC unless they want to pay me to be a shill for them. I will do it, but this is currently free. Um, it's an adjustment, but I think like anything, it's like a, a sort of a thing you get panicked about and annoyed by, but then like once you do it, it's like, oh, whatever. This is this is fine. The rewatch on Peacock stinks. At least yeah. you have like yeah, the normal true. package and you don't have it because they put the commercials in the rewatch. Yeah. And like when you're rewatching, when we record games on YouTube TV and you're you're just like on your computer fast forwarding and rewinding 10 seconds with your finger, and you can run through a full game in half an hour and Peacock, they're like, Hey, sorry. I know you already you're paying to get this, but also we're still you have to watch 17 commercials in your rewatch of a recorded game. It makes me want to go take a peacock, which is a lovely bird, and punch it in the face. Yeah. So I wish they would change that. And I guess if you if you get the better subscription, is that not the case? But I still think even with the better subscription, they're like we still might put some commercials in the thing you're rewatching. I don't know. I don't pay for peacock. I use someone else's account. <laughs> oh. Well, it was funny. Tim May asked Ryan Day if he got Peacock, and Ryan Day was like, yes. And then he was like, wait, no, that's Paramount Plus. I get it to watch Yellowstone. And I'm sure there were uh, NBC executives um, screaming. (laughs) Jerry, (laughs) what what do you mean Ryan Day gets Paramount Plus? Oh, my God. There's games on Paramount Plus, too. Oh, my God. All right. Now I'm mad at everybody again. Uh, What are you watching? What am I watching? It's this right here. (laughs) Well, the podcast people can't see that. He pointed to the Phillies hat that he is wearing on his head. And yes, the Phillies won their first playoff game on a Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, I I love playoff baseball. I watch it even when the Phillies aren't involved. But I, I appreciate it much more because so I was born in 1988. And for basically the first 20 years of my life, they were in the playoffs one time. And it was yeah. when I was, it was when I was four, uh, I was in kindergarten. I distinctly remember, I don't know. It's funny. The things you remember, um, being in kindergarten, like making a pennant out of like a, a, a drinking straw, like a piece of construction paper when the Phillies went to the world series in 1993, they lost to the blue Jays. Like, I remember that. I don't know how I don't, but I don't remember like what I had for breakfast two days ago, but I remember that from gosh, I'm old 30 years ago now. Um, so I'm also from Pennsylvania, as people know. And just again, if people sometimes think to themselves, hey, man, Doug and Bill are both so cool. They're just like a bunch of dudes hanging out. They must be around the same age. They're just like, they're so, <laughs> what, a, what a combo. Uh, in 1993, you were in kindergarten and I was in my junior year of college on my internship, <laughs> uh, copy editing at the newspaper and begging them to let me have the TV on. So I could have the Phillies uh, World Series games on in the background. And they were like, you are here to work. And I was like, I hate journalism. Please (laughs) let me watch baseball. And then uh, I wound up doing this. So I am significantly older than you. And that just that story brought that home for me. And now I feel terrible inside. Okay, go ahead. 
Um, it's just uh, like I said, I love playoff baseball. The Phillies are the team that I that I like the most, that I am most passionate about. Um, regardless, you know, I, I say I say go birds a lot. I know that, but that's more like a meme. Um, the Phillies are the team that I care the most about, uh, and uh, yeah, so they have my full attention here in these playoffs. And I was very nervous about this series against the Marlins, and particularly Game One, because I had never beaten Jesus Lazardo before, but they beat him on Tuesday night, and uh, now I feel okay. All right, what what are you eating? Were you eating something while you were watching the fighting fills? No, I was on too late. It was eight o'clock. I'm trying not to eat that late anymore. Um, How's that going? It's okay. It's p- pretty good. I've gotten much better about not not eating uh, late night. When I was when I lived alone here, and it was like oh, I lived near like Raising Cane's. It's like one o'clock in the morning. It's like oh, I'm hungry. So like, you're not hungry. You just know that Raising Cane's is there. So you're gonna go get it. So I don't. Have you know to what's do good that. at night? Cereal. I love. You're preaching to the choir. I love yeah. a, I love a nighttime bowl of cereal. Um, what am I eat? Uh, this is well we did we did eat this this week but we are on um the cusp i think of soup season as a, as just like oh. as, as a population congratulations which i'm really excited about and i want to celebrate with everyone else who celebrates soup season it's going to get a little little chilly this weekend i think it's going to feel like fall on saturday when ohio state plays maryland and that's when you really get to embrace soup season we we kicked it off with a nice chicken noodle uh, earlier this week but we'll you know we'll get into the broccoli cheddar we'll we'll throw a chili into there i don't think chili is actually a soup but it's part of it's part of the family when you get to this time of year um and i like it like we when it gets when it dips below a certain temperature which is like below 60 i feel like we end up having a variation of soup like five times a week for dinner so we're, we're getting to that time love soup are you you're making the soup you making like homemade soup yeah, I won't take her to my, my my wife makes almost all of it. She likes making a soup, which yeah. I appreciate because I like eating the soup, so it's great. We like we had the we had the zoop down the street from us. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great fast casual restaurant closed. Very devastating in the lame race oh, household that our zoop sad. closed. Yeah. So uh, I agree with that. And again, the idea that there's a name of a food that is associated with the temperature outside when you want to eat it. Like chili is chili. the best name thing that could be named like even it's like for the wrong reasons but it'd be like if they called if you like a like if you, you've call, called like a slushy right like a nice frozen like thing if that was called like a humid it's like <laughs> oh, i could really go for a humid it's so well named because yes you just feel better about eating soup when it's fall um my eating thing is we had kids over twice this weekend this past week we had a band party and then we had kids over after the homecoming dance and uh so you order you order the pizza you make the pizza order and then but you always have to get like the the bread from the pizza place like whether it's garlic knots or whatever and this generation kids in high school want to eat bread more than they want to eat pizza like their pizza there was Mm. leftover pizza there was not a we got like four orders of Domino's 32 little bread things. We got four of those and they were gone. They wiped out. And we got like eight pizzas and like four of the pizzas were left. And I'm just stunned because I feel like in my generation, it's like, what if, if you're in high school, what better thing could you get than pizza? Right. And now the pizza is too fortified with something that possibly might have a thing that would fuel your body, whether it's cheese or pepperoni or something. And they just want bread. I'm fascinated. Like what? Like it's like ah, pizza is too much of a real food. What are we doing? Yeah, that is that is interesting. Like I, I, you know, I love a breadstick as much as the next person. I am in a group. We talked about our our buddy Ari earlier. I'm in agreement with him that the Domino's cheesy bread is, uh, you know, the top of the pyramid when it comes to fast casual appetizer. Um, but, but appetizer pre. Yeah, it's pre. Not yeah. instead of. Yeah, you have you have dough cheese and sauce to go along with your dough cheese and sauce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. I'm just stunned by it. Also, uh, just a rough survey at homecoming. I worked in the concession stand. We had orange Gatorade, red Gatorade, and blue Gatorade. And the blue Gatorade went much faster for the high school students. And I said that to Berm, and Berm was like, oh, yeah. Like, Berm was like, oh, yeah. High school kids, blue Gatorade. That's where they're at. I had no oh. idea. Do you have a preferred flavor? Not blue, because blue is not a flavor. Yeah. I don't know. I like I like the orange or the uh, like the cherry. I don't know. You'd actually know that Austin... Or our, our pal and our pal and yours, Austin Ward, put me onto the cucumber lime Gatorade. It's very Is that good. a real thing? That's yeah. made up. Are you punking me? No, it's real. And you can get it in the zero variety too, so no sugar. Very good. Oh, all right. I'll have to check that one out. I don't yeah. think the high school kids would like that though. Um, all right. So, what are you thinking about? Nothing, because I have a cold and my head is killing me. Your head. You you <laughs> have had a rough start here. You've had multiple things popping up. Since we started this pod, whether it's allergies or a sinus infection or whatever. No, it's because I have a child who's now at daycare and huh. is now a, a living petri, di- petri dish who brings home his yeah. diseases to me. But you're probably going to keep him though, right? Yeah, he's fine otherwise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this is an anti uh, a rebuttal to your baseball love. Um, I have been in an American League and National League fantasy baseball league, two separate ones, run by the same person with the same group of people. For either 27 or 28 years, I got into it at the first job I had out of college, either in like 1996 or 1997. And I've stayed in it with those people, even though I left that place in 1998 and oh, wow. moved. This is, this is, these are my leagues. And I'm in my football league there. My daughter's in my football league there. I've been in a basketball league there. It's the greatest fantasy sports commissioner in America, is my friend who worked at that newspaper with me. And uh, I'm going to drop out of the baseball leagues after like 27 or 28 what? years. They're keeper leagues where you like really try to, and it's an auction league. So it's like somewhat sophisticated. Like I, I, I got Ellie De La Cruz as a minor leaguer this year for like a really cheap price. And I could have him now for like five years. And like that didn't excite me. I had Mike Trout as a minor leaguer. I had him like the first eight years of his major league career because I signed him to a huge contract. And I just, my interest in baseball has been dwindling. It is officially zero. And I didn't even look at my teams this year because I don't have any interest in baseball at all. And it's like, why this base, the fancy baseball league has kind of kept me in a little bit. And frankly, when I was at cleveland.com and there were times when I needed to pay attention to the guardians or write about the guardians that kept me in a little bit. But now that I'm all college football, I, I can't name players. I have no idea what's happening. I don't know who's good, and I don't miss it. And I'm dropping out of my leagues. Oh, that's disappointing. I, I definitely feel like the because we our job requires us to be so consumed by one particular sport, I, too, have lost touch with a lot of the other sports. Like I, I, I collect like trading cards, as people probably know. Like So that helps me keep up with it a little more like no like good young players and who's good and who's valuable in that in that realm but i don't pay attention to it as much as i used to but it makes me sad that you're letting that go you don't like so like you don't you're a guy who grew up watching the phillies like the phillies number one sport for me was baseball like the 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 phillies getting in the world series last year like this does nothing for you then being back in the playoffs you're just like nope don't feel it anymore Hmm. nothing so and i really like the, the fantasy league was the main thing like i have I can remember, I, I looked it up so I would know, because I can remember doing it. Um, 
I was covering an NCAA regional in Philadelphia when I worked in Wilmington, Delaware in 2001. And I was like walking back and forth from my press row seat after a game to the locker room. And back then we did our draft on a phone, like on a conference call. And I can remember I strategized, like I wanted to get this guy. And so I, since it was on a conference call, I mean, obviously this is ridiculous now, but I put up for bid. I was like, I'll put up uh, Albert Pujolzi. I don't even know how to say it. Cause I was like trying to slow play it. And like, I got him for like a dollar and then I had him for like nine years. And I did it like, as I was like poorly doing my sports writer job. Cause I was like, ah, I got to leave this Duke locker room after this NCAA tournament win. Cause I, it's my turn to, to auction somebody off. And I mean, Albert Poole, like it was 2001. Like that's this league. That's how much this league used to be so important to me. And now I'm just, I just, I don't have it. So anyway, mm. sorry, baseball. But it was, you... like, it, it was like a shock to me that like even having Ellie Dela Cruz, which is like, oh, he's like the most exciting young player. Yeah. He came up, he came up earlier than I thought he would this year. He was great. And I still didn't look at my team for three months. Are you going to do the football still? Yeah. Cause the football is just much easier. It's like, you know, the idea that it's mostly once a week and you don't have to constantly be on top of it and there's no minor leagues and stuff. Oh. But yes, also, I just am much more interested in the NFL than I am in Major League Baseball. So I'm I'm in a a, a league, a Dynasty Football Keeper League, where we have like 35 players on our active rosters and also a 10-player de- developmental roster of guys who aren't yet in the NFL. Would you be interested in something like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Take my money. <laughs> Take my money. All right. So yeah, so let me know. I'm just not interested <laughs> when it comes to baseball. Um, all right. Well, we hope you feel better, Landis. Maybe when your kid goes to college. Yeah. So like, I'm looking forward to that. 17 years from now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we appreciate you guys making Kings of Columbus part of your week. Six one four six six two four five zero nine. If you want to be a texter and get to ask questions, get to take part in surveys, get. It's not, we don't only ask of you. We actually give stuff to you expertise, information, um, news as it happens, relevant quotes. But it's not for everybody. And uh, if you're listening to this this late in the show, then, man, that's quite a commitment, and we certainly appreciate it. So thanks to all of you. Um, Thanks to Mike Yurostowski, who is our new producer, starting here uh, at Kings of Columbus and Kings of the North. So uh, if you watch the YouTube show, you kind of saw some cool new graphics and stuff like we're stepping it up. So uh, this is real. Like we're we're really trying to do this from a content standpoint, which we've always valued since the first time Landis and I ever got in front of a microphone. We wanted to bring you good content, but we just want it to look as good and sound as good and be as interesting and forward facing uh as possible because we want uh we want this to be your favorite place to hear about ohio state football and northern football so we're excited to have mike aboard you'll be getting to know him uh a little bit more he's just getting started this week but um it's just proof of concept here that like this is this is a real deal that we're just not dorking around um like we used to in the back of ari's car outside mcdonald's (laughs) which was great yeah people loved it we loved it but like you know, the world's changed a little bit. I don't think we could get a, an internet signal in the back of anybody's car right now. So um, thanks to Bill. Thanks to Mike. I'm Doug. Thanks mostly of all to you guys for watching and listening. And that was Kings of Columbus.